You're listening to episode 45 of the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazizi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we have a guest that will explain to us what are the five myths with FDA and with startups. So this will be really an interesting discussion. And for that, I invited Justin Gushko, who is the principal at uh, Concise Engineering, and he's calling us from Florida. So how are you, Justin? Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Great. So how is the weather now in Florida? Well, the, the big storm has passed, so it's still muggy, but uh, everything is going well. Great. So happy that everything was uh, was fine with this. Okay. So Justin, as we've said, so uh, you will come and help us to um, describe or what are the five myths about uh, FDA and the startups. And uh, But before that, I want you just to introduce yourself and uh, introduce us also to your company. Uh, and then we can go to the meat of the, of the episode. Sure. My name is Justin Bushko. I'm the principal of Concise Engineering. I've been doing new product development for over 20 years and in the med device space for just over 18. Uh, we do regulatory quality, uh, project program management, risk management, usability, mechanical, electrical, and software engineering, as well as uh, software quality and electrical product safety. So we cover pretty much napkin to final release of the product. Great. So really a big portfolio of, uh, of products that you can, you can manage. And uh, I think um, within the five myths that we'll describe, you have also some stories to share with, uh, with the audience, so, which will be, uh, I think, a great, uh, great episode because we like stories. So if they have, they have, there are some good <laughs> things where we can love it, it's great. So um, let's start then. What is, uh, Justin, what is for you the first myth uh, related to FDA and to the startups? Yeah, so the, I think one of the main ones is that the key opinion leaders or your clinical opinions uh, from your team and, and those key people that you've brought in uh, are not really relevant to the FDA, right? So in that particular situation, you may think, well, I'm going to get 10 doctors to write some letters of intent or how great our product is, and that's going to make the FDA happy, or I need to bring those doctors into the FDA and they're going to explain why my product's great. So, yeah, so like making some kind of uh, advertisement of the company to say this company is great, the product is great, I like the product, uh, my patient likes it very much, so you should approve it and you should put it on, on, on the market, which is, uh, which is uh, some kind of, uh, yeah, misconception. So people are really not understanding what FDA is, is looking for. But FDA is looking for evidence of safety, if I can say. Correct. They're looking for safety and effectiveness of the product and efficacy. So, so they need without, that actual data. And without that, I mean, if you cannot convince them that your product is safe, um, 
a doctor, even if he comes and says, I, I like the product, is not really making any sense. The product should be safe for the patient in the long term with some clinical data, some clinical studies. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the other thing is about uh, those people that are coming can be also paid by the companies, which also makes makes it not like uh, good people to just come and, and uh, advertise and to say that the, those products are, are safe or good then. Correct. And, and sometimes those opinions do matter on the other side of the world, right? So the investors, um, they may be interested in the, these opinions from the doctors that it looks like it has uh, some traction and it can actually be utilized. You're talking to potential clients of, of that product. So they're, they're interested in that potential revenue stream or these uh, key opinion leaders. The key opinion leaders can, can convince other customers uh, to get involved. So while it's important for the overall startup, it really has no bearing on the FDA side of things. So it can work for investors, but it doesn't work for FDA, so which is uh, really uh, obvious, if I can say. Okay, so Justin, what is the second myth with uh, the FDA and the startups? Uh, our, our patent portfolio is an important part of our 510K or PMA submission. So in general, that means that uh, you know, some startups believe that if they have five or 10 patents and they just provide those patents, that's going to give evidence of their design history file and convince the FDA that they have everything that's necessary from the design perspective. So you mean, you mean pattern, they, they, they have the pattern and they just send the pattern to FDA and they think that this will work like a DHF or something like that? Yeah, I've had multiple startups when I request the design history file documentation, all I receive is a patent. Really? Okay. There, there's no design reviews. There's no evidence of testing. They have a patent, and you know it, it may take you know several years to get multiple patents approved. And there's a lot of effort going back and forth with the lawyers. So it feels like a big win, uh, but in the grand scheme of designing a product, it's one small step at the very beginning uh, that needs to be continued throughout. So you can have a portfolio. Again, your investors are going to be very interested in the patent portfolio. Those are assets that can be make the. Uh, product and company more valuable, provide protections for barrier to entry. But it's definitely not what the FDA wants to see. They, they have a much more rigorous path that needs to be addressed. No, it's clear. And I can imagine that a startup company, when they are starting uh, to develop a product, there is so many efforts that is done to have this patent, to have the details on the patent so that they are protecting their products. That I can, I can understand that they think that this is sufficient to prove or to show to the, to the FDA that this product is really uh, good. And there is all the details, all the details about the, the product and the, the requirements inside which is not really true because here, as you mentioned, we are really looking at the design uh, of the product and uh, to protect some kind of technology. And, but in the other side, as we said uh, on the first myth, uh, we are really looking at uh, safety and efficacy of the, of the product. Okay, so Justin, what is the third myth with the FDA? Uh, this one is our technology is too complicated for the FDA to understand. Okay, <laughs> let's tell us more about that. <laughs> Yeah, so I've had some, some particular startups uh, and even some established companies, they feel that the FDA reviewers just aren't qualified to review the level of documentation they've provided and they feel that it's not, that, that they need to be trained on how to understand the documentation that have been presented. Okay. Uh, so in some cases, they feel like, hey, we need to get on the phone and explain to them why they don't understand or show them all the experts that we have in-house to talk through this. 
Um, so does it mean that the product is, um, the, the FDA doesn't have the right people or what does it mean exactly on, on that? I think a lot of times they believe the FDA doesn't have the right people. They just have a, an engineer or a doctor and they don't, ex they don't understand um, particularly what we're submitting. However, it's generally that the FDA has a very large team of people and they pull in the experts as needed and they understand exactly what you're doing and they understand that you haven't presented it well and it's not clear and it's not concise. And because of that, you, you can't, if you can't explain the technology clearly and provide all the evidence, it's going to perhaps feel like they didn't understand, but they're just saying you didn't do a good job. I, I think also maybe there is also some companies that have the strategy to make it really complicated for FDA and to think that, oh, it's really complicated for them. They will not really understand, but at the end, they will think that it's, it's well, well, if I can say there is too many equations inside, too many mathematics things. So it means, oh, it sounds, it sounds good. It sounds great. So let's accept it, but it's not working like that. Yes, it definitely doesn't work like that. And I think also sometimes it's just a, a management defense mechanism, right? If you've submitted something that's not ideal and the FDA pushes back with a lot of questions, uh, one of the easiest things to say is, oh, well, they must not understand it. Let me explain it to them better. It wasn't my fault to begin with. Okay, so great. Okay, so Justin, what is the number four? What is the number four myth of uh, regarding FDA and the startups? So our MVP is the most critical aspect of the project and the FDA approval can occur at the end of the design. Okay, so first, what is an MVP for our audience that doesn't know the, these kind of acronyms? Sure, MVP is used a lot in the investor world and in consumer electronics as minimal, minimum viable product or minimal viable product. Okay, uh, so and this, this is the product that, if I can say, will make the company really work or live, if I can say. Yeah, so it's, the, it's the, the smallest set of features that can produce revenue, basically, for, for any type of product. And it's, ideally, you can get it out, test the waters a little bit, and then continue to change the product over time to bring in more users. Okay, so what is the problem here with, um, with the FDA? So from an FDA perspective, you need to be safe and effective, right? So if there are four features required for an effective device and you want to release the first two and add then the other two later, that's not going to um, address all the logical issues related to risk management and design control. You know, you have a minimum set that provides safety and effectiveness, and that usually does not correspond with an MVP. It corresponds with a, a fairly comprehensive and complete product. Um, and a lot of people drive towards that MVP and they think, I'll, I'll just refine it later after it's on the market. So is it like buying a car which has only three wheels and then we make the fourth wheels later? <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good analogy. Absolutely. Uh, you have to have all four wheels to proceed. You can add five and six and seven later if you want more wheels, but you have to have the minimum required for safety and effectiveness. Okay, great. Okay, Justin, number five, what is the fifth myth about FDA and the startups? Uh, so the FDA needs to understand why we don't need to test our product because testing is expensive. Okay, so does expensive enter into the equation of FDA? <laughs> no, generally not. They, the, the FDA wants you to prove it's safe and effective and provide that demonstration through evidence. And your product needs to be tested just like everybody else's. 
and, and they they really have no concern for cost at all. It, and, it does not factor in. And I suppose also no concern for big companies or small companies. If you have in-house resource or not in-house resource, it's the same. We are not, uh, we not say, oh, it's a small company. We can let it go. It's a big company. They have enough money to do it. So it's not also entering into the equation. Correct. That doesn't enter into the equation. Actually, on the back end, if you're getting 483s and warning letters, lack of resources can be one main reason for that. So yeah. a smaller company is in jeopardy if they don't uh, scale appropriately. No, it's clear. So it's great. Okay, good. Um, so now, uh, Justin, um, as we are talking about that, a startup has to um, talk to investors to get some funds, to get some money, so to convince them that they have to, um, they have to pay, if I can say, for, for helping this company. So what are some investors, what investors can impact in terms of compliance? What are the impact that they can do to damage compliance? Yeah, so there, there are quite a, quite a few things that the investors can drive, drive the team forward on, you know, because as they're either providing funds or becoming part of the board, they may be shifting uh, the motivation of that person in order to address what's necessary for funding and not what's necessary for com compliance of the product. Uh, so one example is that they'll state that the, you know, the quality management system can be put in place uh, further down the path. Um, and what that what that does is makes your design history file non-compliant throughout the process. And you want that to be in compliance throughout the development of the product as changes are made, showing those changes being made. Waiting to the end causes a lot of havoc. And there are also, yeah, some, some idea like, yeah, we can do half of the work. And if we have some uh, audits, or if you have some uh, the FDA that is coming and knocking at our door, they will give us a fine, but it's fine. We, we still have, it's, it's okay. We can, we can still move forward and we'll make the correction later. So we take the risk, if I can say. Yeah, a lot of times they'll think, uh, they want to take the risks uh, from that perspective, but they also want to be on the market as fast as possible. So they're driving you to be to, be to the end more quickly than you want to be. Uh, and I think that happens co uh, commonly because most engineers or most, uh, product development guys, they want to make their product perfect before they push it out the door, right? So the investors have to provide that extra push to get it out the door faster. Uh, but the compliance aspect is critical to, to address. You could forget a feature that is required for risk management or by a standard. So it's, it's clear. So um, I think you have a lot more of those investors' impact into, in terms of compliance in a document that uh, you asked me also to share uh, with the audience. So I will put that on the show notes uh, where you can see all the details also of the five myths and also uh, about this uh, impact, uh, impact of compliance from the investors uh, so that you can download. I, I will put that on the show notes. It will be a PDF, so you have just to, uh, to get there. Okay, so what now companies can do uh, to uh, get out of this uh, kind of trap or to really stay in terms of, of compliance, to be, to be compliant and to have no problems with the FDA? Yeah, so there are a lot of issues, a lot of things that they can do to basically debunk those uh, myths. And simply one is work with your quality management system as early as possible, but only do it as a right size process. You know, so you need... Um, risk management, design control, software design control early on, but you don't need Kappa because you don't have a product that's on the market. So don't build your entire system, build what you have to have 
and to, to demonstrate compliance. No, it's true that uh, a lot of time when we have a new company, they say, oh, let's build a, a full quality management system uh, with ISO 13485, with all the things. But at the end, they have nothing to, if I can say, fill the quality management system. They have no CAPA, they have no non-conformities, they have no compliance because there is no product on the market. So it's really difficult for an auditor to come to certify your quality system just because you have some procedures, but not seeing them, I can say, working, you know, not having any evidence that you are really using those, those systems. So, so you're right. As soon as you are in the development phase, develop first your development uh, quality management system, and then you move forward as soon as you reach, uh, reach the end of the, of the funnel, if I can say. Okay, uh, something else? Uh, so um, obviously you want to provide adequate testing within your submission. You know, don't try to provide rationales to say the competitor did it before or Bluetooth is a common technology, so I don't need to test it. You, you have to provide testing to show that your product is compliant to the standards and safe and effective for your application. No, it's clear. So yeah, it's, it's something that is, uh, is important is, uh, uh, even if you have another car that is on the market, you still have to test your car against the security, against, uh, if the, the brake are working well, everything, all the security functions should work well. So anyway, you have to test that. So don't think that uh, it's something that uh, you can just um, yeah, you can just uh, re make a reference to the other competitor's product and then you are on the safe side. So it's clear. Okay, other things? So from a clinical perspective, you want to make sure you have documented evidence within your file as well. So if you want to, if you do want to try to reference literature that's out in the market, you want to do legitimate searches, almost like you would for the EU, like a clinical evaluation report. Provide that summary of the, of the detail that's been researched and how that impacts the risk profile of your product and how other products may be similar on the market. You may still need to support it from, by, from testing, but you want to provide as much evidence that you can rather than anecdotal thoughts and opinions or one or two articles. It needs to be a comprehensive search. No, it's clear. And uh, there are, yeah, there are now with the, the clinical evaluation report that we have in Europe, there are a lot of things that like that, where uh, they are asking you to make a search of all the literature possible with your keywords, then to exclude why you exclude some of those literatures and why you include those literatures. So you have to have some kind of a, an appraisal method. So it's really something that is uh, really important for an auditor because at the end, if they go to the same database as you with the same keyword, they should find the same literature. And if they don't find that, it means that your method is not really clear or you are trying to hide some information. So, so this is important. Okay. Absolutely. Is there something else? I just, uh, I, one thing I want to mention is that you need to define the product that, that you are actually releasing, right? The whole comp, uh, discussion about the MVP or features that we may add in the future, like it's going to be cloud-based later and we're going to have all kinds of really cool data mining metrics. Uh, that, that's not important. They don't want to see your five-year plan. They want to know exactly what you are providing today. So, so yeah, leave all that conjecture out of your submission. Yeah, so something really that they can touch and it's concrete and it's not like a, just a drawing saying, oh, this is our products. Do, do you think it will be fine? So no, it's not working also. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Justin, um, now uh, on your day-to-day -day activities or on your work with your customers, what are you helping them to do, if I can say, when you have those kind of projects that are coming, some product development projects? Yeah, so I, I wear many hats myself and my team uh, addresses a lot of different projects, but primarily I serve in a role of a program or project management 
uh, doing new product development for various firms. So I could be doing a line extension for a bigger company, a new product that they want to roll out that's maybe low priority, or I could be working with a startup that wants to develop a whole new platform or a whole new product. Uh, I'll run those, those different projects. If they have teams in place like um, R&D firms or RAQA resources, I'll couple with those groups and we'll manage the, the burn, the spend uh, throughout the project and then work through the requirements and the mapping and the traceability and standards compliance, et cetera. And I'll manage the majority of that aspect. Uh, if it's, um, if they don't have a team and they want us to build a team or it's a, a project where we have direct experience, then we'll bring in the resources that we've utilized in the past, you know, mechanical, electrical, software engineering, and we'll design the product for them as a, as a turnkey solution and then take that all the way through and do uh, 510k submission, PMA submission, uh, whatever is required in that perspective. No, I think it's, it's clear that it's important when, when, you, when you find a, a company to support you on your projects, maybe to have a company that can provide you really with a full team uh, where you have all the competencies so you don't need to have to pick one person to do the project management, one person for clinical, one person for regulatory, one person for uh, anything else. So you have one person, one point of contact for a full team, which is really uh, the best strategy, I think, for, for a company to, uh, to, to develop a product and to be sure that from beginning to the end, we have really a company that is taking care of that, uh, which is, uh, yeah, then uh, you, you can be then ahead of competition, which is, uh, I think, great. Okay, uh, Justin, so thank you for that. Thank you for your help. So uh, just yep. tell us where people can follow up with you. As I say, where are you famous on the internet? So I've got, uh, you can check my LinkedIn page, which I'm sure I'll provide you a link. Yeah. Uh, and you can also follow up on my website, which provides some of the products I've worked on and describes the services that we address. Good. So yeah, people, so go to, go to the show notes and you'll see all those links. Uh, so you can be then in contact with uh, Justin Bushko uh, from Concise Engineering. Uh, and I hope you will contact him if you have any project, any product development projects uh, for, for your firm, for your medical devices, uh, because I'm sure it would be really a, a great help for you. So great for that. Okay, so Justin, thank you for your help. Thank you for all the information you provided. As I've said, you have also provided us the, the documents to be downloaded. So don't forget to go to the show notes and also download the documents. There will be uh, all the information regarding the five myths and also uh, a table regarding the, the um, investors that can impact uh, compliance. So yeah, thank you for that. Okay, so then I wish you a nice day and then uh, let's talk and let's uh, keep in touch for another episode maybe on another uh, topic. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Great to talk and great to share the information.